It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. We're delighted to have you with you with us for the next couple of hours or so. Um, we're beginning straight away with a really concerning story. Alice Ridsdale Dooner uh, went to the cinema with a friend of hers from her toth at the weekend into uh, Blanchardstown. She was waiting for the bus stop at the bus stop to come home after the cinema and she was attacked. And what uh, transpired was not nice at all. And she's recovering from the attack as we speak. Her mother's on the line with me, Gwen Jackson. Hello, Gwen. Hello, how are you doing? I'm great. She went to cinema Saturday evening, was it? She went, yes? She did. She went Saturday afternoon with a friend of hers over to Blanchardstown and they just went for something to eat and they went to the cinema about six o'clock thereabouts. And uh, they were both coming home. Her friend was going to Navan and she was coming back home to Ratos and they both got the uh, the bus. At, well, they went to the bus stop on the slip road, what they normally do. And um, her friend's bus came first and got on. he got on the bus and went on to Navan. And her bus was due a couple of minutes after that, but she was at the bus stop on her own on the slip road and she sent me a text to say she was getting on the bus or she was at the bus stop getting on the, the, the bus and uh, within just a couple of moments of the bus from Navan pulling away this fella came out of the bushes behind her she didn't even see him and he grabbed her uh, he had a knife in his hand and told her he wanted her bag um, and she didn't want to give him the bag she said you know she wasn't giving him the bag and he said give me the bag or I'm going to stick this knife in you and she saw the knife at that stage that you know she said it was like a bread knife so uh, she gave him the bag and he said I want the phone out of your pocket as well and she said she wasn't giving him the phone and he he struggled with her for the phone and he cut her hand you know with the knife mm. um, she didn't realise it was bleeding at the time uh, she said she didn't even feel it at the time she was so shocked at, by it all um, and with that, uh, she told him to take the bag and go just before that, but he wanted the phone. He was insisting on getting it. And with that, two young local girls um, came down the slip road. At the same time, the bus was also coming down the slip road, and they must have saw what was going on. Anyway, they were shouting and, you know, shouting at the lad and shouting at the bus to hurry up. And, you know, they went down to a sister. He had then ran off back into the bushes where he came from. But he left her very traumatised and uh, she got on the bus and the two young girls brought her home. 
So uh, naturally we reported the police the next day and one of the girls, the young girls that helped her, her mum put it up on the Rat Oats notice board that this incident happened at this bus stop. Mm. And apparently it is notorious for incidents like this happening. It's It's been reported several times. And in fact, an awful lot of the local councillors from Rat Oath and, you know, Peace Commissioners as well have raised this issue with Bus Aaron um, to get this bus moved from that slip road because it's very, very badly lit up and it's in a very isolated area. And I'm sure anybody that uses the bus going you know, back to Rat Oath or over, you know, up to Navan or on onwards up into Kells would all know this slip road and would be aware of it. Mm. But there doesn't seem to be much that anybody can do because it's between the, the NTA, the County Council and Bus Aaron, and they all have a part in the responsibility of, of where that bus stop is positioned, but nobody seems to want to do anything about it. Yes, this isn't so, the first incident there, as you say. There have been no. a number. But back to herself, what a situation yeah. to find herself in. She held on to the phone. She held on to the phone and only because I think she was very lucky, to be honest with you, Jerry, because I think that if those girls hadn't showed up at the time that they did, yeah. I definitely think he was going to take that phone from her one way or another. And she was just so lucky that he ran before he could actually get the phone. It's mm. not It's just a normal phone. You know, she was just saying, you're not having the phone. Um, I don't think she probably realised quite at that moment how serious it could have been if mm. she didn't hand over her phone. The bag uh, she, the bag is gone and everything that was in that, yeah, yes. Yeah, the bag mm. is gone and everything is in it. Now, there wasn't much in it. There might have been only about 20 or 30 euros, um, you know, and that's gone. And she's not, she doesn't mind about that. But it was the fact that, you know, she is very traumatised by it. Um, and it's a very unfortunate thing to happen. But, you know, lots of people use that, that stop. Um, and, you know, that's, I just rang the police to notify them that night that this, this, you know, happened and maybe they would want to keep it, you know, maybe send somebody around to just kind of keep an eye out. And, yeah. you know, when that lady put it up on the Rat Out notice board, even people from Blanchardstown were actually saying they lived in Blanchardstown and they wouldn't even stand at that bus stop. So there you are. So it's it's yeah. across the board and people yeah. are concerned about this. Uh, I know uh, Bus Erin have issued a statement to say that they don't service Blanchardstown Shopping Centre due to the That's congestion right. there and uh, that they have these other stops where people can go on to Louth and Mead from. But my God, yeah. if this is uh, the situation with this stop, surely it's time for everybody, Bus Erin, the yeah. Gardaí, the authorities, to look at this. Yeah, and to either take it away as a bus stop or I don't know what other bus stops or where the other bus stop is that they're talking about going to Rat Oath because I'm not aware of one. Mm. Um, there would be one that might go to Kells, but it certainly doesn't come to Rat Oath. It might go up through Dunshockland or yeah. wherever it goes. And, you know, they, they need to stop or close that bus stop and just not have it there anymore until mm. they come to... Uh, it's, it's a you know, a situation where people can stand safely on a bus. Safely, exactly. And where it is there, there's plenty of cover for guys or whoever to hide in and come out and do that awful deed that happened to your daughter. You say she's traumatised. How bad? Well, she was very upset that it happened to her. Yeah. Um, Her hand, you know, she got a a superficial cut on her hand. It wasn't like deep enough that it needed stitches or anything. But she was very, very upset by this. She was on her own at the bus stop. Mm. You know, it's it's like the, you know, what you always say, you never think, you know, something like that will happen to you. You know, 
and she probably felt like that. But, you know, she gets the bus home early from Town anyway. It wouldn't have been a late evening. Um, they had only been to the cinema and, you know, the fact that she was on her own left her quite traumatised. Mm. She'll think twice, I'm sure, again about being unaccompanied because this leaves its mark, something yeah. like this, yeah. Yeah, it would. Well, you know, she mm. won't be, I mean, for, she won't be getting that bus on her own anymore. That's, yeah, for the, sure. You know, that would be the short of it, Jerry. You know, she, yeah. we wouldn't allow her to do that. Mm. Um, she's she's but, very brave, uh, I have to say. Very, very brave the mm. way she resisted the phone. But as you said there, but for the girls yeah. appearing, the bus on its way, my God. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and again, it's just, you know, you just reiterate that, you know, just give over anything that they want, you know, give them yes. your phone or give them your bag. Yeah. But in the, uh, you know, in that split second, she didn't want to give her bag and she didn't want to give her phone. And I'm sure that, you know, we might all think the same. Mm. Um, and he was, you know, determined to get it from her. Yes. Have the Gardaí opened an investigation or a case here? Yeah, they, they have. Um, we did report it over to uh, Ashburn uh, because we live in Oath and that's our local police station. They said that it wasn't their jurisdiction because it happened in Blanchardstown and that that was understandable. So we did call um, Blanchardstown uh, and they said that they really couldn't do much until um, an official like statement yeah. or complaint was lodged. So we did go over to the police station the next morning, which was Sunday morning, and, you know, Alice made a statement in Blanchardstown. Uh, you know, and since the kind of the, the media coverage on it really has kind of pushed it along, mm. you know, quite significantly. Yes. That, um, you know, that there seems to be some discussion going on between the, the police and... Yes. Um, bus Aaron and, and the, the NTA about this bus stop. Yeah, well, that's what we so, want to happen, that this is looked yeah. at and this doesn't happen yeah. again. Look, we yeah. wish you and her well and thank you for joining us just to update us on how she is and talk about the incident. She's a very brave girl. I say that to her yeah. again. Yeah. But nobody should have to hand over anything. Yeah. That's the bottom line. People like this yeah. should be... Uh, caught, charged and jailed for this type of thing. I, that's what I just want to finish off yeah, by saying. Yeah. Anyway, Gwen, thank you for joining me. Appreciate it no on the problem. show today. You, Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. 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 That's uh, uh, Gwen Jackson there talking about the attack on her daughter, Alice. Heading to the first break of the afternoon on Late Lunch. Up next, it's Catherine Fulvio. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Anyway, folks, there's a treat in store and a major treat it is at the solstice this Thursday, the 22nd of November. Because the lovely lady herself is back. Yes, Catherine Fulvio's in the house. And it's about food, making the most of it this Christmas. And I can tell you, she's on the line with me now. Hello, Catherine. Hiya, Jerry. How are you? I'm great. Anyway, what about Christmas time? There's a lot of food knocking about. And you want to talk in particular about making the most of it and cutting down on waste, is it? This is going to be such a great event. I'm going to do the Christmas dinner. Parts of it, talk about the turkey, cook a bit of turkey, do some really nice stuffing, give everybody a real taste of Christmas to get us into the humour, you know. But underneath it all, there's a big story to tell about food waste because we all buy a turkey that's too big and we're looking at it for ages afterwards. Or there's a load of sprouts and you only eat half them and so on. So I want to cover all the different ways you can use up all of the leftovers. But also make a decent plan so you're not buying too much in the first place because it's dead money. 
It absolutely is. And I love the whole concept of this because we have to all become more conscious about our food and the wastage of food in the context of what's happening on this planet of ours. Now, tell me this. Are you a real traditional Irish Christmas dinner type of woman? A little bit of that in the sense that we're farmers here in Ballynockham and for us, like my dad comes over for Christmas and so we, and my mother was a turkey rearer. So we've always had the bit of turkey, definitely. We'll always do turkey and ham and all of that. But I like to sneak in extra things, like I might do duck or I might do guinea fowl. You might, you know, I'll, I'll always try something different. And my husband is Italian or Sicilian, so I bring in aspects of that as well. Little tastes of Sicily around Christmas time. Isn't that lovely to have that lovely twist on the Irish angle as well? What would you term as a classic starter for Christmas dinner? If you were to pick one thing, Catherine. Oh, it has to be smoked salmon. Right. Some people go for the prawn cocktail, but smoked salmon is the real classic. And the thing about smoked salmon is it can actually be rather filling. So by the time you've had it with the brown bread and everything, you've hardly much left for the dinner, do you know? So what I do with the smoked salmon is I do a really simple smoked salmon starter and it really is a salad and I put mango in there the shredded smoked salmon and a lovely bit of greens and a beautiful lemon honey mustard dressing and toss it all together and it's lovely and light so you've had your smoked salmon but you're ready for the turkey as well now let's talk about the main board itself and you mentioned a moment ago the tendency is to buy too big a board there's too much in it what's your rule of thumb say for a four person or six person family now for a four-person family, I usually kind of, I'm thinking around five, four to five kilo. You know, you get plenty out of that. But what I'm going to suggest this time, Jerry, and it's, I've just actually finished a show for the BBC uh, called Best Christmas Food Ever. I'm presenting it with a British chef, Paul Ainsworth, and it'll be on BBC One in the lead up to Christmas, 10 episodes. And in that, I have done a lovely recipe for turkey breast. Okay. And you'll easily, easily feed five people from a large turkey breast and what I do is get the turkey breast flatten it out a little bit and then I put the stuffing inside it a bit of pancetta and roll it up and put that in the oven like that so there's no wastage all I have to do on the day is just carve downwards and then I'll have the other turkey breast which I may cook if I've got a lot of people coming or I may not I might actually just freeze it and use it another time for another thing for stir fries later you know in, in January when I'm on my health kick isn't that fantastic? Now, tell me about the breast of turkey, because the worry is that she'll dry out the bird. You know, even if you're doing a full bird, this is the big challenge with a turkey, getting the breast moist. First off, with your recipe, that won't happen. It won't happen, no, because it's all it's all breast and it's all rolled up to more or less the same size as well. And then it's a gadget that you, every kitchen should have called a meat thermometer, and you just put it into where you think the coldest part will be. And once it's reached 72 degrees, you know it's safe to eat. And that's important to know as well. But if somebody is, if, you know, at home doing the whole turkeys, a lot of people like to do, because they like the show of the whole turkey coming out of the oven and to the table. Um, the legs take longer to cook than the breast, so you've got to be very mindful of that. So keep basting the breast, keep it nice and moist, and then cover it. When it's starting to look like it's ready, put baking parchment over it and then tin foil just to hold it down and that stops the direct heat coming onto it and that'll stop it drying out. That is a lovely tip there. I have to say, Catherine, to be honest with you, the legs are for me. I love the flavour of the leg meat. I absolutely adore it and in this show, the best Christmas um, recipes ever, the chef that I'm cooking with, Paul, he actually takes, gets the bones taken out of the legs by his butcher and he puts a bit of stuffing in them and then he rolls them up and roasts them and they were just divine 
really gorgeous. You'd go for that quicker than you'd go for the breast. It was really nice. Absolutely. I'm with you all the way there. What about the ham? What's your take on that and how you prepare it? So for the ham, um, I would be a traditionalist. I love. I would soak it beforehand to get some of the salt out, and then I would simmer it in the pot the day before if I if I can get ahead. Um, take it out, let it cool down, and then on Christmas Day itself, I take the skin off and I do my usual diamond shape on it, and then I put my usual cloves in it and I I put star anise on it as well because that gives a lovely flavour, and then it's all about the glaze. It has to be, and it's things like. Crazy things like marmalade work so well. Marmalade and cranberry sauce mixed together with a little bit of whiskey in there for a glaze is gorgeous. But one of the traditional ones for me will be maple syrup, a little bit of brandy, um, a little bit of cinnamon and a little bit of allspice and so on. Just a little spicy bit. Mustard, of course, and then put that over it and into the oven. And I just, oh my goodness, I'd fight with my kids over the outside piece, to be honest. I'm drooling here as I just sit in the studio here and I can't wait for that day. I love it every year. Now come to the end and when everybody's relaxed and of course pudding is a big thing at Christmas or the dessert as it was known in Ireland, what do you love to serve up? Well, there's the traditional Christmas pudding um, and it can be quite heavy at the end. So a lot of people in my family just say just a sliver, thanks very much. So I like to have something else to go with that. I do something rather simple but it's really, really nice and I do a Christmas pudding bomb to go on the side of it. Dodgy as it sounds, it's actually really nice. Um, and that's just a small uh, Christmas pudding uh, or a small amount of Christmas pudding. You can you can cheat and buy a, a little mini one in the shop. And then I buy, it's it, you, it's quick self-assembly job, uh, really good quality vanilla ice cream. And I just gently soften that. I crumble the pudding into it and I put in things like Morello cherries, um, a little bit of maybe mar- baby marshmallows, a uh, little bit of... Um, Uh, chocolate drops, white chocolate or dark chocolate, mix it all together and then I line a pudding bowl with cling film and I put this ice cream mix back in and I freeze it and then on the day you just soften it, lift off the cling film and then it comes to the table as a Christmas pudding would because it's the shape of a Christmas pudding but it's actually Christmas pudding flavoured ice cream. I've just had to let out the belt of my trousers here. (laughs) Yeah, you're gasped. One more thing, and I know I'm harking back to yesteryear here, and perhaps it's gone or it's no more. Sherry trifle, Catherine. Oh, well, you see, sherry trifle's still there, but there's a lot more modern takes on it. Um, And I've done recipes in the past for red velvet trifle, where you use the red velvet, you know, the chocolate cake with the red and the chocolate in it. And it's so delicious. Um, I've done other ones, which are a kind of a version of tiramisu. So this time you've got those ladyfinger biscuits in there and you've got your fruits in there. So I tend to kind of go for a sponge cake or the biscuits and then plenty of fruit um, and then your custard and the cream. But no, it's still it's still very much in vogue, but you'll see more modern versions of them nowadays. I'm delighted to hear that and that really enthuses me now even more. So look back to what's happening in the solstice. Thursday evening, this Thursday, half past seven, there's a nominal charge in, folks. It's only a fiver to see this great woman take you through all the the recipes we've just been talking about and loads more besides and more importantly, not wasting the food that's going to cost you this Christmas and looking at it in a more broad context. Are you looking forward to Navin and the solstice? 
I love coming to the solstice. I cannot wait. I'm on the telly on Monday night as well on RT1. That's right, because I want to mention that and I wasn't going to let you go without saying it. It's absolutely brilliant. I've been watching you. Number three is coming up. Taste Like Home, Series 3, Season 3 is on Mondays on RTE1. You better not miss this lady. And just come back. Tell us about that other one you're doing with the UK chef. So the, uh, the other show starts on December 3rd and it's called Best Christmas Recipes Ever. And um, I'm presenting it with Paul Ainsworth, the Michelin chef from Padstow in the UK. And it's on BBC One at uh, 3.45pm in the afternoon, every day for 10 days up to Christmas. And we have guests on the show like Martine McCutcheon, Christopher Biggins and Paul and I cook. So over the 10 days, we cook 64 recipes. So there's plenty for people to see, plenty of inspiration for Christmas. But you'll get a lot more inspiration if you come to the solstice Thursday, for sure. Absolutely. Never mind the 12 days of Christmas. It's the (laughs) 10 days with Catherine Fulvio they'll all be talking about this year. Wish you well in the solstice. And it's always a pleasure to have a chat with you on Late Lunch here on LMFM Radio, Catherine. Likewise, Jerry. Thanks for having me. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. My next guest on the show today returns to late lunch to talk about sleep or more to the point, the lack of sleep that many people experience. Kira Wright is part of a great team at the Wellness Crew and Senior Nutritionist and Research Director at Glenville Nutrition. Kira, it's really good to see you again. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks, Jerry. I'm delighted to be here. Let's begin with sleep and enough sleep. Why is sleep and enough sleep so important to us as human beings? Okay, so there's short term effects. So let's say even one night of, you know, poor sleep the next morning, obviously, you're going to feel a little bit tired. It might have an impact on your mood. You might have higher levels of irritability that might have an impact in your workplace. For example, just dealing with stress or dealing with other people. It might mean they're a bit more narky with your children, that your patience levels are lower. Um, But the longer term effects are probably even more serious. So it can have a massive impact on your immune system such that actually lack of sleep is linked with certain types of cancer, including bowel, prostate and breast. So certain cells are completely depleted, even after one serious night of uh, poor sleep. But obviously this accumulates over time as well. So your immune system can go down and it can be worse at detecting little cancer cells that appear all the time and it can have massive impact there. So it's huge. If you're not getting enough sleep and enough rest, there are massive implications, short, medium and long term. How much sleep? You're looking at me here. Fell in his 50s. What should I be getting sleep wise? So most of us, and everybody's a little bit different, let's say, but most people need around seven hours sleep. Okay. There, about one in 40 people can handle less than that. And there certainly will be people out there who think, I'm absolutely fine on five or six hours and more more power to them. But for the most of us, we need about seven hours sleep. But actually, two thirds of adults are not getting that. So a lot of us are walking around That's completely sleep That's a massive sleep deficit in the world, isn't it, when you talk about that? What about children? More important to get more sleep, definitely young babies sleep most of the time, tots into teen years, sleep very important there. Yes, very important. So young babies, like say, it could be 12 hours, could be even more than that if you're including daytime naps. This can tend to decrease a little bit as they get a bit older, but even all the way through primary school, they need 
11 hours, let's say. And as they get a bit older, that can be tricky because they want to stay up a little bit later, particularly maybe in the summertime when mm. they want to play outside. It'd be very hard to get a 10 or 11 year old into bed at eight o'clock. But some of the kids are up quite early, you know, for a commute to school or because their parents are going to work. So it is quite important if you can to try and get them into bed on time. Teenagers then, we all know the teenagers will stay in bed all afternoon and really we should let them. The hormonal changes in their body mean they do naturally need extra sleep during that time. So and and again, they don't get very much sleep during the week. They're often up very early for school. They have really long, mm. stressful, what you call a working day. So we really probably should let the teenagers so leave lie them in. Be. Do you yes. hear that, folks? You know, often get out of that bed. You're lazy. Don't leave them be. Let them do what they do at that age. That's a really good uh, suggestion there. Now, you'll hear people say, I'm wide awake when trying to settle down and go to sleep. What causes that? Why are some people like that? Okay, so you want to start looking at maybe the stimulants that you're taking in during the day. So caffeine, for example, is a really good example. And it's the first thing that we often reach for when we're feeling a little bit tired. But you can get yourself into a bit of a vicious cycle. So it's genetic how fast you break down caffeine. So some people are called fast metabolizers. They'll get through it very quickly and it'll get out of their system. And some people are slow metabolizers. And you might know yourself that if you had, say, two or three cups of coffee, you might feel a little bit jittery. And in that case, you could be a slow metabolizer. If that's the case, six hours later, half of the caffeine from a cup of coffee is still circulating around your body. So if you have a cup of coffee at four o'clock in the afternoon and you're expecting to be going to wind down and go to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, you still have half the same amount of caffeine circulating in your body and acting as a stimulant. So getting your coffee in really before lunchtime is beneficial. Other stimulants then might include alcohol. And often we associate alcohol with a sedative effect. So people might have a glass of wine or something as a nightcap, or you might enjoy a couple of glasses of wine with dinner at the weekend. It has an initial sedative effect, but it's what we kind of call a sleep stealer. You don't get good quality sleep. So you get very light sleep and not very restorative sleep, which often leaves you feeling tired the next day. But that sedative effect can often wear off, say, in the middle of the night and wake you up. And unfortunately, that happens a little bit quicker for women. So if you go out as a couple, you might find you're the one wide awake half the night after the few glasses of wine while the the husband is still fast asleep. So is is this a killjoy lecture today to say no no wine? No, no not at all. But if you're finding that you're struggling to okay. sleep, it These might be just the, things to look at. The things to look at. Okay, so the caffeine, that's very interesting about your metabolism dealing with it as well. And and you'll know that yourself pretty quickly. So off with the caffeine, careful with the alcohol. What else are stimulants to prevent your food-wise sleeping? Well, there's no one food that will really keep you up, let's say. Okay. As much as there's no one food that's yeah. the magic pill to help us all sleep, unfortunately. But looking at patterns of eating during the day is very important as well. So if you, for example, go for long distances between meals during the day, say you have your lunch at one o'clock, but then maybe you don't have anything in the afternoon and then there's the commute home or dealing with the kids or whatever it might be. And dinner might not be till half seven and you're absolutely starving at that point. Well, that can be a huge physical stress on your body and you're increasing production of stress hormones during your day. Now, your stress hormones are supposed to be on the decline towards the end of the day. So you can relax and then they're meant to stay down through your whole night's sleep. If your stress hormones are high at night time, first of all, you'll find it difficult to get to sleep 
or if they increase at the wrong time of the night, they can just wake you up in the middle of the night. So what are you better doing? Grazing during that period and then not really stuffing yourself at half seven. Exactly, because that's often what we do when we're starving Mm. come to half seven and then you eat all around or you eat just a very, very large plate of dinner. If you think about your digestive system needs to work on all of that and it needs to break it all down and all of your absorption and you're getting all your nutrients, your body isn't going to want to go to sleep while it's doing all of that work. So eating about three hours before you go to sleep is is a good uh, marker. But also, yes, not going for too long during the day. So while we don't say grazing all day long, but putting in a healthy snack between your lunch and your dinner is a great way to just balance out that stress during the day. And then you're going to bed more relaxed. So three hours is a good rule of thumb not to eat before you put your head down to sleep. Yes, with a caveat. <laughs> so for some people that they are very sensitive to her, um, to going bet- yeah, too long between meals and they might notice that their blood sugar dips or they get very, very tired or a little bit irritable if they haven't eaten long enough or um, regularly enough, then putting in a little snack before bed can actually prevent that waking in the middle of the night. So if you're just trying to get your routine established at the start, actually having a little snack before bed, something very light, like a little bit of natural yogurt and a bit of fruit or just an oat cake with hummus or peanut butter about an hour before bed, actually might prevent you waking in the middle of the night. Because hunger can wake some people as well. Yeah, and you might not even feel hungry. So you might just wake up and feel really wide awake. And in fact, lots of people have told me that they've gotten up and done the ironing or, you know, they get up and start reading books uh, because they feel so wide awake or the next day's chores or work is going flying through their head and they're getting all stressed and worried about it. The reason your body might have woken up is because Uh, your hunger is a physical stress. Your stress hormone goes up, which effectively is waking you up to go get food. But you don't feel hungry. You're you're asleep Mm. and you're sleepy. But that stress hormone has woken you, fully woken you, and your mind is now racing. Can I take anything that will aid sleep? You've often heard of, I'm sure, warm milk, that people believe in this and it does them good and they sleep with it. Is that a fact? And is there anything else I can take that might aid my sleep? Yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that old wives tale um, about warm milk. So first of all, it has an amino acid called tryptophan in it. And tryptophan is an ingredient that we make melatonin out of. So that's our sleep hormone. So you can take in protein meals. So that's another reason why people say um, turkey at Christmas time makes us sleepy because it's full of tryptophan. The calcium in milk helps you get your tryptophan into your brain where you need it to produce your melatonin. So there is something to be said about a glass of warm milk. Plus, of course, we all associate it with something comforting. And actually, that's something, you know, that can be done is having a really nice bedtime routine. So whether it's incorporating supplements or foods or whatever it might be, actually doing the same thing every night, something that you associate with being really comforting and relaxing can help your body much the way you might train a baby or an infant to wind down for bedtime. So whatever it might be, you might pick four or five steps. So it's put the kettle on for herbal tea, put on your jammies, brush your teeth, read your book or listen to some relaxing music for 10 minutes and then get into bed. But if you do the same five steps every night over and over again, it's almost like at the click of the kettle, your body will go, oh, I know what this is. This is my relaxation routine. And you get used to doing it every single night. I really like that. I hope you're all awake out there. <laughs> Are you listening to us? I hope Kira hasn't put you all asleep at this stage. We mentioned the milk. Anything else somebody could take to ease them into sleep? 
Yes, there's lots of things. So I did mention there's not one particular food, I suppose, that you can say that thing will put you to sleep. But in actual fact, a mineral called magnesium is very important for relaxation. It's termed nature's tranquilizer. So it can be very important in people who suffer from anxiety or stress or just from lack of sleep. Uh, We find it primarily in nuts and seeds not part of everybody's daily diet, but an easy thing to add in. Uh, Do make sure you're chewing them well or use one of those milled seed mixes, throw it into your porridge, mix it into your yogurts. Uh, When we test in clinic, about 60% of our patients are deficient in magnesium. So it's a very, very common deficiency. People might often find that if they take it late as a supplement, they could take it later on in the day. So even taking it at dinner and then maybe once again before bed so that you're kind of upping your magnesium levels late at night can help you to sleep. You can also take magnesium in through your skin. So you can buy magnesium sprays. Often people would find that quite relaxing, putting it on the soles of their feet before they go to bed. Or you can have a magnesium bath. So if you have the time to have a bath, I mean, that in itself is very relaxing because it's warm water and it's time to yourself and all of that. But you can put in what are called Epsom salt flakes, get them in any health food store, not expensive. Toss a cup of that into your bath water and you will absorb magnesium through your skin that way. From the Epsom salt? Yes. That's an old... Uh, one as well, going back, people used it years ago. You're a big fan then of magnesium. Yes, it's one of, a, like I said, it's such a common deficiency mm. because we just don't have an awful lot of nuts and seeds in our diet typically. But it's something easy to, to get in, a little bit of a snack during the day on any kind of mixed nuts, any kind of mixed seeds. They're all they're all the same. So if you can build in a routine from you waking in the morning. Now, if you feel tired in the morning, are you better getting up? Yeah, so if you're really struggling with your sleep, you're best to try and teach your body to have a natural routine. So ideally, that means going to bed at the same time every night, which can have a little bit of an impact on your social life to begin with. But it's just a let's call it a short term project. Yeah. Teaching your body again, the same thing you would do with a child. You would always try and put your child to bed at the same time every Mm. night and they get used to it. And so does your body. So go to bed, say, let's say 11 o'clock at night. Get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Every morning. So lying in at the weekend, even though you might be exhausted, actually can just mess with your clock a little bit more again. So again, if you're really trying to sort something out and you feel like you give a, you know, a few weeks or a month to focus on it, getting up at the same time every morning, despite how tired you feel, is a good idea. Get some food into you if you're really feeling sluggish. Sometimes people actually, because their body clocks are so confused, they don't feel like breakfast at all. We find that quite commonly. People think, oh, I'd feel sick if I had to have breakfast in the morning. Have something small. Again, you're teaching your body, this is morning, we're going to start eating, we're going to start working, we're going to start using ourselves through the through the day and then I'll let you relax again in the evening and do relax. So it's perfectly normal to want to sit on the couch and watch Carnation Street at night time. What we don't want to do on the flip side is maybe expose ourselves to too much stimulants and screens. So blue light that's emitted from computer screens, iPads, phones, they all stimulate your brain and keep you awake much longer. So remember, getting up in the morning, stimulate yourself then, have your coffee then, have your snacks, fuel yourself through the day and then allow yourself to relax in the evening time. 
the ambience of the room where you sleep. Light, for example. Heat. Too much heat. Well, I, I can't take too much heat, to be honest with you. I, I need a, a nice cool temperature. No, not freeze an icebox. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and things like that. Important as well? Yes, light. Extremely important. So your sleep hormone that I mentioned earlier called melatonin, it really only gets produced when it's dark. Mm. So... Sometimes in the summer in Ireland, we can have particular issues with that because it it stays bright for so long and it gets bright so early in the morning. So if you can keep your room as dark as possible, you will help your body produce more melatonin. In addition, if you get up in the middle of the night, say to use the bathroom, very common, don't turn on the bathroom light. So the minute that light goes on, your brain will sense that the light and your melatonin production will will really plummet and it can take two hours for it to reach the same level as it was before you turned on that bathroom light. So if you could use maybe a small light or, you know, just crack the hall door open a tiny bit or something yes. like that. Um, but if you can not turn on the light, that would be really great. Getting in a blackout blind, making sure you've got nice heavy curtains or if you can't, just use an eye mask. So that's a simple solution. <laughs> very simple if you can't do all that. But that's a very important part of it as well. Exercise tied in with all this. Important also? Yeah, moderate exercise is a great stress buster. So again, if you're trying to make sure your stress hormones are low enough to allow you to relax and allow you to continue to sleep through the night, um, doing some moderate exercise during the middle of the day is a great way to kind of break down those stress hormones. Doing intensive exercise, we know, can boost your stress hormones. So trying not to do too much of that, but and also definitely not too much exercise late in the evening. It can take, again, around that three hour window for your body to wind down after exercise. So if you can get it in earlier in the evening, maybe directly after work or, of course, during the day, that's even better. But not going to the gym at nine o'clock at night, you're going to be absolutely wide awake. You'd be wired up and and ready for anything. What about women and the menopause? I've heard that, and, and this seems to be a case with some, when they reach that time, that they could be sleeping very well up to that and then suddenly everything's out of kilter. Is that something you've come across? Yeah, it has a huge impact. So again, in this whole um, way of us producing melatonin, oestrogen helps support that. And when the oestrogen is gone, some of those hormones can be diverted off into different ways and, and actually produce things like stress and and your melatonin production can really decrease. So there's no real way of just replacing your estrogen. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. After the menopause, unless you go on HRT, but of course that has risks associated with it. But what you can do is use your own body's natural way of producing smaller amounts of estrogen. So for example, your adrenal glands will still produce a little bit of estrogen even when your ovaries don't anymore. They also produce stress hormones. So again, bringing it back to stress. Um, and also we can get forms of plant estrogens in our diet. We call these phytoestrogens. They can act on estrogen receptors in a similar way, but not in any kind of way that promotes cancer growth or anything like that. So they're safe. We find these in things like flax seeds, chickpeas, beans, lentils and tofu. So again, you could get flax seeds in on your porridge or into your yogurt and they're a good source of magnesium and a good source of phytoestrogen. So there's kind of a dual purpose there. And maybe just introducing some chickpeas and lentils and beans into salads or soups or dinners. Again, not a huge mainstay of an Irish diet, but has numerous, numerous health benefits. Is there such a thing as genetic poor sleepers? (laughs) Or yes. should everybody be able to conquer this if they have a difficulty with it in their lives? No, of course. I mean, most of the things that we know ourselves, all diseases and conditions and all kind of things, they all are a little bit nature, a little bit nurture. So you might have a genetic predisposition and it can be for anything. So, for example, a lot of people have what we call a, like a genetic mutation in the gene that breaks down your stress hormone. Mm. So if they get stressed, they stay stressed for longer, a little bit like the caffeine, I suppose. Stays in their system much longer. So they will need a better wind down time, less screen time than most people, you know, making sure they're not exercising too close to their dinner time, a much better relaxation routine before bed than the next person who can break their stress hormones down much faster. There's loads of different genetic reasons why you might be a poor sleeper. Okay. So it might just mean that you need a little bit more effort and attention on this than the next person. We can't compare ourselves to mm. everyone, we know that. Finally, before we finish, back to one of the um, bugbears for a lot of people where they go asleep and they wake. And you mentioned that wakening in the early hours or whatever, middle of the night. Have you any tips for getting back to sleep when you do wake and if you're finding a difficulty with that? Yes. So when you already wake in the middle of the night. Yes. yes. So one thing not to do would be to get up and do the ironing, as I mentioned. (laughs) That's not (laughs) a good idea. So what's happened there is your stress hormone has woken you up in the middle of the night and it thinks, let's get up and do something. Mm. You don't want to give in to that. You want to try and relax as much as possible. And actually, you can consider it that even if you're lying there doing some relaxation techniques, at least you're getting rest. You're not getting sleep, but you're not up and furthering that stress hormone by doing ironing or worrying about work or anything like that. So yeah, having a kind of a recovery program, let's say that you automatically go, oh, that's it. I'm awake. I know my brain is switched on. Don't start thinking about work. Don't start thinking about the kids. Don't start thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't get up out of bed. If you need to go to the bathroom, get back into bed. Feel yourself relaxed. There's things that you can do like uh, you can start at your toes, tell your toes to relax feel that your toes are relaxed and feel that your body is starting, your toes are starting to go to sleep. 
then feel that the muscles in your feet are relaxed. And as you do that, you work all the way up through your body and you start almost sinking into the bed and you're starting to feel really, really relaxed. Or you might have maybe a piece of music that you could turn on and that's your in the middle of the night rescue remedy, let's say. It's very calm. But again, it's the same. It's doing the same thing over and over again that helps your body learn what to do. I have a little technique. I'll mention it again. If ever that happens to me, I go on a journey. I hop into my car here and I head for Galway. Not on the motorway because that's boring. But through all these little towns and villages I used to go when I were heading to the West fishing. And I can tell you this. I don't get to the lake. <laughs> I'm asleep. <laughs> Just a little one that works for me. Yes. It's a little routine I have. Uh, may not work for everybody. Fascinating, Kira. But just to say today, how we eat during the day, what we take on board is hugely significant in terms of getting a good night's sleep. Until the next time, Kira Wright, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. My next guest this afternoon was a great friend and close associate of Drogheda's most famous son, the late T.K. Whitaker, biographer, novelist and screenplay writer. Anne Chambers has had the biography of Grace O'Malley, Ireland's Pirate Queen, which she wrote 40 years ago, republished. And I'm intrigued to find out why. And we're going to find out now. <laughs> Anne, you're so welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you so much, Jerry. Lovely to be it's here. It's great to have you at last because we've <laughs> spoken on the phone on a number of occasions and it's great to have you in studio with me. Well, why? <laughs> Why? Well, Jerry, like everybody else, I'm travelling through life, you know, and 40 years is, I suppose, since the first, I, I, I did the first edition of Grace O'Malley back in 1979 in my early 20s. And I have to say that really it was almost too daunting a subject to take on in your early 20s. You know, I hadn't lived my life really, and Grace certainly had lived innumerable lives. You know, when you think of what she was, we all know her as the pirate but that's only a tiny side of her life. She was a political pragmatist. She was a a brilliant military leader. She took on the wild Atlantic Ocean, but she also, and people forget this, she was a daughter. She was a wife twice over. She was the mother of four children. She was a grandmother, a great-grandmother, a matriarch. And here am I, 21 and 22 (laughs) years of age, about to take on this guy, lady. So I think now... In hindsight, and with my own maturity and having travelled through life, I think it's just about now I've got grace. Well, (laughs) I don't think anybody could answer a question more comprehensively than that. And I can't take any argument with it, to be honest. But let's say this. As a young woman, you made some job of the first one because it's been acknowledged as a seminal work on this woman. It has. And it's never been out of print since, you know, and I've travelled the world telling her story. But, you know, you, you know, I think um, in a way she almost created, well she always created her own legend but what I found was uh, the factual story. I was, I'm from the west of Ireland, you perhaps know that from my accent and every year we went on our annual summer holidays to Clue Bay and there I'd hear all these stories the folklore about her every castle was said to be Gronia Wales Castle and yet when I went to school she didn't appear in her school history books Mm. and it's coming back again, it's amazing how my 
journey with Grace O'Malley has taken me to your most famous son, Dr. T.K. Whittaker, because I had the uh, honour of being a very junior executive, may I say, in the central bank when he was governor. And he heard I was from Mayo and he uh, invited me into his office one day. Now, if you were invited in as a junior executive into the office of the governor, it might mean very bad news. (laughs) But this occasion, it was to talk about County Mayo because he had bought a little summer house down there for his fishing. As you know, Jerry, he loved salmon fishing. Absolutely. Burrish Hill. Well, yes, that area, one and North Mayo. And uh, we got talking about Mayo and I was telling him about Grace O'Malley and saying that someday I would try and find out, did she really exist? Was she a factual person in history or was she just like a myth like Queen Maeve of Connacht maybe and he said why are you saying someday why don't you do it now so in a strange way my journey through Grace O'Malley and other books that were indeed uh, part and parcel uh, belonging to the Grace O'Malley saga I did the biography of her son and another lady a great lady of 16th century Eleanor Council of Desmond but eventually in 2014 it led me to the great honour of writing Ken Whitaker's biography yes. so it's an amazing journey what a circle that yes. is that was completed with that as well yeah. now this you mentioned Grania Whale which she'd be more uh, colloquially known mm. as Grace O'Malley, lived 1530 to 1603. Mm. It's an awful long time ago. And here's the, uh, the rub in this. You had to go to the other side, across the Irish Sea, to really find out about her. Absolutely. The Irish analysts and historians, for best reasons best known to themselves, completely wrote her out of history. It was her perceived enemies, the English, and I note that very word, perceived English, her enemies, who actually wrote her into history. Mm. And I started going through the old Elizabethan state papers, 400 years, and they were in the British Library, in the Public Record Office in London, and some of them here, of course, in the National Library. I spent four years going through them and when I say going through the old state papers it's like looking at a new language because you're talking with 400 year old manuscripts and they wrote English differently. Old English. The old English. So I had to kind of train my eye into that. And then I got access to private collections, which were even more exciting in the places like Westport House, which was the home of her descendant, the uh, Marks of Sligo. Indeed, I wrote a biography of him. You see, she's connect, she's, she's dominated my life, really. It's amazing. But there in Westport House, I was opening manuscripts, Jerry, that hadn't been opened since their original authors put quill to parchment 400 years ago. My word. And that, you know... That's not, special, isn't that's it? Spe- that's the Aladdin's cave of historical research, really. You know, and I'll never... Th- uh, some of these things that money can't buy, you will never forget. And in this voyage with Grace O'Malley, she's given me all these exciting moments in my own personal life. And there were incidents relating to her. But I have to say it was the English state papers that preserved an image of Grace O'Malley through the military men and the administrators who came to conquer her country. Mm. It's extraordinary. Was she exceptional Mm. in the leadership she she showed at the time? Oh yes, she was. She was an exceptional woman and I'll tell you why. There are very powerful women in world history, but there are no powerful women who operated on the sea. The sea was the great barrier always and I have to say, despite all our liberalisation, us ladies, 
really the sea is still a barrier. You know, you don't hear young women saying, well, I'm going to be a seafarer or a mariner or a fisherman. It is that kind of boundary. Grace O'Malley breached that. But but then again, when you look at her background, she was born into that maritime culture. The O'Malley's were the great seafarers of 2,000 years ago here in the Irish annals. They certainly got a look in in the Irish annals for all their seafaring expertise. So if Grace O'Malley really had been a male O'Malley, perhaps we wouldn't be talking about her today, you know. Mm. The sea really makes her into this incredible but sadly also incredulous person and I think it was that piracy element that took over this legend of Grace O'Malley and that was one of the reasons that she failed to be examined as a factual political person but if you look at the one map that was drawn during Queen Elizabeth's time three years after Grace O'Malley visited her in Greenwich in 1593 It's a map of Ireland, not very accurate in terms of the geographical Mm. side, but there is the name among all the political leaders in Ireland at the time is Grace O'Malley over County Mayo. The only woman, to my knowledge, ever listed on a political map in the world. That meeting in London is one that was spectacular, really, in what she did. She left home because some of her relations were... In, in conflict with the Crown and well, she went straight to the Queen. Yeah, well, more importantly, her son. Mm. One son had been killed by the English governor of Connacht, Sir Richard Brigham, and her second son, Tibbojna Long, whose biography I wrote as well, he left a lot of papers behind him. Uh, he became the first Viscount Mayo and uh, he had been uh, arrested by Bingham on a trumped-up charge of treason. And here you see the woman and the mother that is Grace O'Malley She tried all she could do to try and get him released here in Ireland, but Bingham really ruled the roost here. And he didn't, if anybody ever got the better of Grace O'Malley, it was the governor Bingham. He really didn't like her. And you can Mm -hmm. see that from his correspondence to the Queen. He calls her everything. Notorious woman, nurse to all the rebellions, a director of thieves and murders at sea, all of this beautiful uh, um, uh, comments he sends to the court. So she is so astute as a political uh, woman. She knows that who to ask to get to the Queen. We have this folklore that as a great Queen of Connacht, she went to meet this great Queen of England, banged on the door of the Palace of Greenwich and said, I'm here and you must see me. Of course, it didn't happen like that. It's far more interesting. There were firstly old women when they met. Mm. Grace O'Malley was 63 in 1593, which is in today's world 83. So was Queen Elizabeth. They sat down and did a deal. But how did she get to her? She used her brain, which was quite Machiavellian, as Machiavellian as the people she was meeting in Elizabeth's court. She knew that the Earl of Ormond, who happened to have lands near her in Mayo, was a favourite of Queen Elizabeth because he was related to Anne Boleyn, Queen Elizabeth's mother. I found a little note to say uh, that she was given safe passage because of Black Tom, the Earl of Ormond. That little note is preserved in the state papers. Before that, she sent letters to the court and Lord Burley, the great William Cecil, the chief secretary of Elizabeth's long administration, took an interest in her. And this fantastic civil servant who was the spy master, I suppose, of Europe at the time, 
guarding the life of his queen. I saw where he doodled on one of her letters that Grace O'Malley had sent to him and he's trying to work out her family tree and he has her two husbands and then he has an arrow down to her sons and to her. And I'm just thinking of this great statesman wondering, should he let this pirate rebel come to visit his queen? And in, in the end, he does. He did. And they meet up in Greenwich in 1593. And I have to tell you, Jerry, I was there last summer and there's a notice of, of Grace O'Malley's visit to the Queen. They are now in the National Museum, uh, Maritime Museum, which is in Greenwich, where the old palace was. And I actually climbed the same steps leading up from the Thames. They're called landing stages. Now, it was cemented over, but underneath were the same stone stairway that Grace O'Malley arrived in on that day in July in 1593. And it was something else. And that wasn't lost on you. Stay with us on Late Lunch Short Break. Grace O'Malley is the name of the book, The Biography of Ireland's Pirate Queen. Anne Chambers, the brilliant Anne Chambers, is with me on Late Lunch today. Can I say this to you, having been through the book? She wasn't a woman who suffered fools gladly, <laughs> either within her clan or without. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. She wasn't really. But again, you have to look at the times she lived in. There were desperate times. Think Syria today. You know, you had the incoming English modern Tudor machine coming in for various reasons to take over the old outmoded Brehan Gaelic way of life, divided, more, uh, more apt to fight one another than combine against the English. And within that, you had this woman who had to preserve firstly herself, her family, then her clan, and then the clans of the other uh, chieftains who had fallen in the many intertribal feuds and grudges around the time, had fallen or who had abandoned their responsibilities. She didn't suffer fools gladly. She wasn't that type of person. Any woman at that time who could mould together men from various clans, all with their intertribal feuds and grudges, into an army that remained loyal to her right to the end of her life, who took on the wild and awesome Atlantic Ocean. Oh no, she did not suffer fools gladly. And one of the reasons she attacked her own son, Marico Flaherty and Bonon near Ballycanely in Connemara, when she heard that he had sided with Bingham against her, what did she do? And Queen Elizabeth was intrigued with this, that a mother would do this to her own son. She sailed with her galleys into Bonon indeed killed some of his men who offered resistance and took a good penalty in terms of cattle from from her son to make sure that he would never do the same again. On the other side, she's the mother, uh, as we said, going to Queen Elizabeth. Why did she go? She went, as every mother in this country will know, you do anything to save the life of your son. And she put her head into the lion's den to do that. So you have this... The, the private Grace O'Malley and you have also the public Grace O'Malley and in both roles no she did not suffer fools gladly. I was trying to think if we could fast forward to today from the 1530s mm. and she passed away in 1603 where would she fit in life today and with Brexit on the horizon mm. it looks like it's going to happen one way or mm. the other and you know that whole context where would she sit in Irish society political life? Mm. Well, firstly, I think in Irish uh, life, we, we are still only looking with open mouth at what this woman achieved 400 years ago. So she's an iconic 
example of what women everywhere, even in the most difficult circumstances and environment as she had, can achieve if you put your mind to it. So she is a great iconic beacon, I suppose, of hope for all of us. In terms of Irish Anglo-Irish relations, which I think are extremely important, and I know Ken Whitaker, God be good to him, he was a great European, but he also was, don't forget, in 1965, when Europe shut the door on Ireland, it was Ken Whitaker who went over and negotiated an Anglo-Irish free trade agreement that kept this country soluble until we eventually got into Europe. And I think Grace O'Malley, as she did with Queen Elizabeth, they sat down and they did the deal because she got from Elizabeth all she wanted to do, quite against the advice of Elizabeth's own administrators here in Ireland. And I think where Brexit would be concerned, if you had these two women dealing, they'd have done the deal. And they'd have done a deal that was beneficial both to Ireland and to the UK. And I just hope that we too will do a deal down the road and I'm sure Ken Whitaker would would have a blessing on that. We remain of course in Europe but we also have a very near neighbour that we do rely on and they turn around, they rely for mm. exports to us as well so it's not a kind of a, in, an inferiority complex going to Britain anymore. We're a big trading partner of them and I think uh, we have a troubled history between two countries but we also have an awful lot in common and one of the great iconic examples of that is Grace O'Malley and Queen Elizabeth oh, I. God, that really puts it into context where she would sit. Mary McAleese has written the foreword to the new book. Her words are lovely. They are. A mayor, uh, President, former President McAleese really got into what Grace O'Malley is all about for the gender balancing and I think as well as an icon of positive ageing. The last entry I found to Grace O'Malley in the state papers was in 1590 at the huge age at 67 and I hate saying that getting there myself (laughs) but that was a huge age in the 16th century. She's leading an attack on MacNeil of Barra off the coast of Scotland in the Hebrides because he had attacked her relations in North Mayo. Now I'm not suggesting that we all do likewise but still it is a fantastic incentive to women everywhere to know that life is for living, that age is not a terminus, but as Grace O'Malley looked on it, merely another port of call. Mm, it's really, really well put. But when you look at the world today, Anne, the 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 fight goes on for women in many parts of the it world. It does, it does, and I think we have iconic women there too that can help us to say that you know we have to work to get to where we are. We perhaps, like Grace O'Malley, had to be twice as successful as her male competitors if she was to hold on to the loyalty, if she was to hold on to her power and don't forget she was a very successful businesswoman she owns up to having a thousand head of of cattle and horses which in the 16th century was no small fortune I can Mm. tell you when everything was measured in the price basically off a a heifer basically that was the currency currency Mm. at Mm. the time so she admits to having that so she was a very successful woman you know, and I think she 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 will be one of these beacons to women everywhere when they read what she had to go through. And the beauty about Grace O'Malley, she never had to forfeit her femininity. Every entry in the English state papers referred to her as a woman. She never had to become like a man to be more successful than a man. I think that says it all about her. The book is brilliant. Well done on bringing it out 40 years later. It's heading to a new generation now. I encourage you to get this book and 
read it. Would you like a copy? Anne will sign a copy for me today and we'll send it out to somebody there. Here's the question. From what county in Ireland did Grace O'Malley or Grania Whale hail? What's the county we were talking about? We mentioned it several times. You don't need a clue, do you? No, you don't. Give me the answer. 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp. Until the next time, Anne Chambers. Brilliant. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. I met my final guest today some time ago when he published his first collection of poetry called After the Fall. He popped in and had a chat with us on late lunch. And lo and behold, when I'm running me eye over the nominees for the Irish Book Awards this year, whose name pops up in the poetry but Mr Brian Kirk and he's with me on the show. Brian, good to see you again. Great to be here, Jay. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. It's, it's a great... Uh honour for me I suppose and a great boost for the career I suppose to be involved in the book awards you know and to be there in on a short list you know From your first collection From my first well. collection yeah um, I mean it's uh, it's huge really you know because I mean that's the, there's about 10 years work really in that Yes I suppose, I've been doing other things as well writing wise but I've been writing poetry you know for the oldest poem in that is nearly 10 years old Right uh, But there's poems that I wrote right up until the whistle almost when I was putting the collection together. When you were together. publishing yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So tell me, how, why, what, where, when? Birthday is the name of the poem. Mm. Who picked it? How uh, was it selected? I, I, I entered it, actually. Right. And I, it's, it's open to any Irish poet to enter a poem that's published within the calendar year, the previous calendar year, I think from October to October. So the book came out in November last year. I, uh, it was published then. I... Uh, I picked it because it's a poem that always goes down well at readings, when I do readings. And I've done a few since the book came out. I've been around the country in various spots. And it's a book that people come up to you afterwards, Jerry, and say, that poem really struck a chord with me. And it's because we all have similar uh, histories, to some degree, I think, mm. in our lives. And it's a poem really lifted from life, which not all poetry is. A lot of my poetry is fairly straightforward narrative. A lot of it is lifted from my own experience but there's other factors as well so I think because it's one of these poems that's based on lived experience it does tend to strike a chord with people you know So So you saw something in this with the feedback you got Mm, from your mm. adoring followers may I say (laughs) (laughs) Listen there's liminal more than that don't be don't be harsh on yourself a lot more than that so you pick this you enter it into it and Mm. it's in a short list now of four when you got the word it must have been special how did you find out did yeah, they ring you email I, you what? I, I got a I got a phone call from Maura Logue at Listowel Writers Week Listowel actually sponsored the Poetry Award mm. at the Book Awards and I actually read at Listowel uh, this year as well uh, but I got a phone call in I suppose it was mid-September I was at work sitting at my desk one morning and the email rang and I said that's a strange number a carry number and it was Mara at uh, Listowel. I nearly fell down. I had to sit down straight away <laughs> because you don't really, even though you enter these things, a lot of mm. things you enter or you submit stuff for. Uh, in writing, the the general result is is rejection, <laughs> which you have to learn very early if you're going <laughs> to stick as a writer. You know, 98% of things you send out just don't come back. Mm. You know, they don't stick. So you really, every time something like this sticks, you're, you're always pleasantly surprised. But something like this, which is a national poem of the year award it's a huge thing for me you know mm. and to be going along on the night of the awards and being part of the the circus I suppose it's not somewhere poetry generally takes it you know <laughs> yeah. so have you the tux 
I, I have it arranged, yeah. <laughs> Not quite yet. But and your good arranged. wife is going along. Oh, with yeah, you. Laura will go as well. Now, yeah. this is very important because mm. this poem, Birthday, is mm. dedicated to her. It is, yeah. Tell it us is. how it came about or why you wrote it. I wrote, I wrote, well, I wrote the poem, I, strangely enough, a friend of mine, John Murphy, who, I, who was a poet as well, and we read a lot, of, a lot of each other's stuff. And this is a few years ago when I wrote it, actually. It was coming up to my own birthday and John had been sending me some of his most recent stuff and I was very impressed with these long lines he was writing. Like a lot of, a lot of poetry looks sort of abridged on the page and it looks short and there's a lot of white space but John was writing these poems with really long lines and I was kind of thinking that that's interesting. I've never really written poetry like that. So I was kind of experimenting with these long lines and then it was coming up to my birthday and I, I kind of, when you get to a certain age, Jerry, you don't really look forward to your birthday. <laughs> So I, I, this poem started out of it, you know, with the with the first line of the poem is, you know, you know, you, you ask me what what you want. And, and when you get to a certain age, your, your loved one or your spouse asks you what you want, because it's too difficult to go and try and surprise somebody at this stage. Yeah. So that's where the poem starts from. OK. And, and I as opposed to poem develops along the line is I think about what I really would like, which is the impossible, which mm. is to go back, you know, to when you were younger. And this this is a. Uh, you know, this is something that I kind of when I was putting the collection together kind of surprised me uh, because when I was reading, you know, you have to read through the poems again and yep. again and you're getting them ready with the publisher. And you're, you're kind of thinking, God, you know, when you read these few poems together, they're all saying similar things or some of them are saying similar things. And I found to my surprise that a lot of the poems in, in the book were about getting older. Which which was a surprise to me because we all still think we're young, you know. So I was surprised that the, there is this theme, uh, one of many themes running through the book about you know aging and how it's affecting you. And you know you're 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 writing poems about your parents, but then on the other hand you're writing poems about your children, uh, you know. So you're kind of you're covering generations, and uh, I suppose this poem is kind of a, I suppose it's it's a it's an attempt to kind of to stop time or to roll back time yeah. which everybody identifies with as well oh you man know? if only if yeah. only Brian <laughs> but you say it's for Laura yeah uh, and is that why because it's that time when you know what do you want for your birthday mm. is that the it, reason yeah that's that's the, the jumping off point of the poem and I always say when I'm reading it I, I never read it generally if Laura's in the room if I'm at a reading why because I, I, I just don't want to embarrass her you know would you be embarrassed pre- oh the preamble to it if I you have to give a bit of context yes. usually so what I'd normally say was I can read the poem tonight because Laura isn't here <laughs> and but I said the other thing I always say is that like uh typically uh, of poets that uh, it's dedicated to Laura and I say it's about her but actually the poem ends up being all about me yeah. which is typical of the poet <laughs> <laughs> to be self-obsessed you know. <laughs> Will you read it for us? I please? will indeed yeah. So this is Birthday uh, by uh, Brian Kirk and it is nominated along with three other poems for the Listowel Writers uh, Irish Poem of the Year and it's called Birthday Away you go Brian Birthday You ask if there's a gift I'd like to mark the passing year, but how can I demand no more than you can give the turning back of time to when I knew you first? Not back to the doorway of the Red Cow Inn, when drunk I pecked you on the cheek and mumbled happy birthday. Not one year later, when we sat with friends in the Green Man on St Martin's Lane, and I stayed quiet, sober. Not back to when you met me from the train at Euston after my father died, or some time after that, when we moved to Highbury on our own, when we began to drop our masks and make our true selves known. 
I think of how we wallowed in our love for years before the kids arrived and stole our time but gave us so much more. I was always stealing things, books from shops, kisses in the backs of taxis, always wanting something more when I had plenty. I feared love then, considered it a failing, a retreat, until I felt it. Though it was very deep, you disinterred it, breathed life into its musty lungs and made it sing. I see you as Prometheus, a kind of Dr. Frankenstein to my ignoble monster, but you did not abandon me when I reverted to base nature, when others bade for blood. You took me back to Dublin, and the children came. They taught me over time to do new things, to stay up nights and cool a fever, heat a bottle, or simply sit and let the long hours shorten into day. I want the long hours back, but you can't give me that. Sometimes I yearn to go back even further, to a world defined by family, fields and railway tracks, the sham abandon of the long school holidays. I want the days to be midsummer all year long. Those childhood games that lasted until darkness fell and twilight was a midnight walk back home with a ball at my feet and my head completely empty. Each night I close my eyes and we are young again before time dragged us down its hungry maw. On waking I can feel I'm falling but reaching out into the dark I find you. Hold on tight. It's beautiful. Thanks. It's beautiful. So, so descriptive of a journey through life. Yeah, I suppose. With somebody, do you know that line? Can I can I read a line out of it again? Because it really it really uh, stopped me as well uh, when when I read it. Um, It starts there. I think of how we wallowed in our love for years before the kids arrived and stole our time, but gave us back so much more. And I, I think that's what I was saying earlier. It's kind of a common. There's a commonality of all a lot of our experiences. A lot of people will have had similar experiences mm. from moving from being a young person to being in a relationship to being married and being a parent and that. So you have this kind of shared. And I think that's why the poem strikes a chord when I do read it. That people come up to me afterwards and say. I really like that. I can understand why Laura mightn't want to be in the room. Maybe Maybe a little bit. But but at this stage, Laura, come on, come on. She likes the poem, but but you don't want to be the focal point. Nominated for Poem of the Year. Isn't it fantastic? You mentioned Highbury in it. Is that the Highbury? That is the Highbury. In London. We we met in London. You know, she's a dub as well. But we met met in London, you know. And and, and so it's kind of, I suppose, the... The geography of the poem and and a certain amount of the history of the poem is true, you know. Yeah, so, so I know it well. Yeah, with, yeah. You know, I'm an Arsenal fan, yeah. oh, so yeah, I I know the we area well. That's just we were only up the road from, <laughs> from the old. From the fantastic. Old Did have you had a look at the under uh, runners and riders uh, that are nominated? Yeah, I I know John Sexton, the Kerry poet. He's uh, he's with uh, he's with Salmon Poetry as well, who published my collection. Mm. So. And uh, I don't know the other poets. The other but, two, yeah. yeah. But, uh, the Snail is John Sexton's John, one yeah. in it. Inglis and Co. Limited by Aaron Halliday. Uh, Kintsugi by Shannon Kutakelly. And Brian Kirkwood birthday. They are the four up for nomination. Oh, my God. What a night you're heading to. To be nominated is uh, fantastic. To be nominated is brilliant. To win, yeah. Brian. To win. Do well, you I contemplate d- it? I don't even really want to think about that, Jerry. I'll, I'll go along in the night and try and enjoy it as much as I can. And, and, uh, and I think I will enjoy it because uh, I think it's, it's just a great honour to be there. But to win would be superb, of course. But I think just being shortlisted, uh, it puts the focus back on the book and back on the other poems, Hope I, uh, I hope as well, that people might 
you know, uh, open the book and read it and, and, and enjoy some of the other work that's in there as well. Yes. You know, it might be a, a guiding post for people to, to I, read. I'm sure it will. Yeah. So, of course, this is your first collection of poems mm. and what an endorsement this is for you. And certainly your star is really in the ascendancy well, now. So. It is, yeah, Brian, with yeah, this nomination. So, yeah. Let me assure you yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You're working away. Short stories next. Is that yeah, the plan? That's, I mean, I've, I've written a few I've written a, a, a few poems since this collection came out and I, and I do intend at some stage to, to go back and work on a new collection proper. But at the moment, I'm concentrating on putting together a collection of short stories and uh, I'm working with Dermot Bulger, who's you know Dermot. Oh yes, Dermot is kind of a mentor for me. He, I was, uh, I applied through Wards Ireland for a mentorship program with Dermot. So I'll have a, uh, a series of meetings with Dermot to look through the manuscript of the short story uh, book that I'm working on over the next uh, six months. And hopefully next year I'll be looking for a publisher for it, you know. So, mm, so, it's, it's, so it's getting kind of real. That, that idea is getting real now, the idea of the short story Of course, well, and so. this will help yeah. to no end as well. I think you know? it will, yeah. Oh, I think it for will. sure. Yeah, like yeah. A, this is a wonderful, wonderful acknowledgement and well-deserved, may I say, as well. You have a real talent. Thanks, That's yeah. just one example from the book. And I know we talked before. This is mm-hmm. beautiful. So it is After the Fall by Brian Kirk. If you're into your poetry, you love this book. He's brought a spare copy here uh, with him today. So it's there and if you want to ring in on the phones now we'll put this one to the phones because we're finishing up 1850 if you'd like a copy of uh, After the Fall by Brian Kirk with this poem in it that I sincerely hope will be named Poem of the Year 2018 at the Big Night in Dublin Tuesday week the 27th of November Brian I wish you well and I hope I'm calling you the following day thanks for a chat much, to Jerry. say wow thanks very much thanks for joining me on it's the show today pleasure. take care of yourself that's a lot on late lunch for this Tuesday afternoon have a lovely evening. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow, Wednesday, from half one. See ya. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.